Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning to our viewers online as well. Uh, when you came in this morning, you should have been handed a grow guide. Um, we printed enough for one per family, but if some of you want an extra, that should be okay. Uh, this weekend and next weekend are what we are calling Connect Weekends. And so our fall semester will begin the week of September 12th. So this week and next, we're encouraging everyone to sign up for a group or a class this fall. You can sign up um, on the back of that grow guide. It looks like this if you haven't gotten one yet. On the back page, there's a uh, tear-off thing. You can tear that off and drop that in the basket when you go out at the end of the service today. Or you can sign up online at our website, lifeonline.church. There's a link to sign up right there on the front page. Um, when you sign up, your name will be added to the roster of that group in Planning Center. I, I call it the one-step sign-up, that you could, you could find and sign up for a group in 90 seconds or less. Yeah, Most of these are new groups. A few of them been, have been meeting, um, but they're aligning their, their start date of their new study with the fall semester. So um, if you sign up for that group, you won't miss a thing. So in light of that... Um, this week and next, I'm doing a two-part series called Small Groups, Big Impact. Um, this week, I'll be focusing on the theology and the vision of small groups from a, from a church-wide perspective, sort of the, the macro view of small groups. And then next week, I'll be focusing on small groups themselves, like what goes on in them, what makes for a healthy small group, um, sort of the, the micro view of small groups. This week is the wide-angle lens. Next week will be the zoomed-in lens. Okay, so if you've ever seen the huge redwood trees in California, um, you'll know that they are the largest living things on earth and they're the tallest trees in the world. Some of them are 300 feet high and more than 2,500 years old. Um, you would think that these trees would have huge root. It's funny. <laughs> so I grew up in Florida. I say roots. What do you all say? Roots, right. <laughs> I'm not ready to change yet, so I'm going to say roots. <laughs> uh, you would think that these trees would have huge roots that go hundreds of feet down into the earth, but they don't. Uh, the roots are actually quite shallow. Um, but if, if the roots are shallow, then how do these trees stand? Um, and how do they withstand storms? So their secret is that redwoods uh, never live alone in the forest. They're always found together with other redwoods. And then the roots of these redwood trees are intertwined with each other. Um, they're all wrapped around each other. Um, essentially, they create an interlocking root system. Um, where they support one another. So when the, the storms come, they literally are all holding each other up. They need one another to survive. Just like we need one another to survive. We need community. That's what I'm talking about. So we're going to talk about community. I want to talk a little bit about theology of community. Like what does the Bible talk about um, in terms of the importance of community. 
So the original community uh, literally is God himself. Right? God is community through his Trinitarian nature. Uh, one God in three persons who has existed for all eternity and loved one another for all eternity. You don't think of it that way. But in John 17, 24, Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be, with, to be where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It's fascinating. So similarly, God created humanity to be in community. First there was Adam, then Eve, then he commands them to be fruitful and to multiply. Community in the Old Testament moves from that first biological family to Abraham and his descendants. They're commanded not just to love God and love one another, but they're also commanded to be part of God's covenant community. If you're not already a Jew, then by becoming a Jew, by being circumcised if you're male, by keeping the rest of the Mosaic law, that is how community was designed in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we see community start with a small group. Um, I always like to joke, what's the first thing Jesus did when he began his ministry? He started a small group. Right? Literally, he went and he identified 12 guys um, that he basically recruited to do life with him. Okay? He and his disciples, they lived together, they worked together, they did ministry together, they ate together, they were around one another. Jesus himself laid out the pattern, he laid out the rhythm for both small groups and large groups that would eventually be replicated by the first century church. Jesus alternated between preaching and teaching in a large group setting and also spending time with the 12, doing life with them, modeling for them so that they could learn from him. His small group was a place where he was equipping them. He was helping them grow. He would send them out, right, in pairs, and they would do what they'd seen him do, right? Sometimes they'd get it right, sometimes they'd get it wrong. Jesus, why couldn't I cast out this demon? You cast out this demon, why couldn't, why couldn't we? Oh, well, that kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. Oh, right, didn't know that. Literally, it was in a small group setting that Jesus' life was modeled to his disciples. This is how he mentored his disciples, and this is how he reproduced himself. Then, after his ascension, right, these same men testified that even though they were unlearned men, they had been with Jesus and they had known him intimately. And that was the source of their power and their wisdom. In Acts 4, 13 to 14, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note of these men, that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So our scripture today from Acts 2 describes how the early Christians modeled this this first, the first century church after this pattern. They met in temple courts and they met in each other's homes, right? Large group, small group. And this was the rhythm of, of life 
for the first 300 years of the early church. Large group, small group. Temple, meeting house to house. Okay? So what changed? In 313 AD, Constantine, who is generally regarded as the first Christian emperor, um, he issued the Edict of Milan, essentially decriminalizing Christian worship and legitimizing the Christian faith. So I won't go into the whole history of that, but one big thing happened through that, and it was a shift away from what I will call a two-winged church, temple courts, meeting in homes, to a one-winged church, a sole emphasis on the large group to the exclusion of the small, essentially a cathedral structure of the church. Rather than, being, rather than the church being the people themselves who were being the church all week, who cared for one another, who discipled one another, who equipped one another for ministry, who looked for ways to be salt and light in the community in which they lived, right? Now, thanks to Constantine, the church became a building that people went to on a certain day of the week to hear someone who's paid to speak, paid to do ministry, paid to care, paid to disciple you. Okay? Really moving away from equipping people for ministry and moving toward the era of ministry being done by the paid professional. And this is the form the church largely has taken um, for the last 1,700 years. There are a few exceptions, right? So Martin Luther, he talked about the importance of small groups, but he'd never implemented them. John Wesley was probably the first to provide a structure and a rhythm for small groups. He called them classes and bands. Uh, when I served on staff at a Methodist church, um, I enjoyed studying the history of all that. When I was on staff there, uh, I put on a couple small group conferences for our district, and several Methodist churches came who were trying to get back to those small group roots, right? But for the most part, they were struggling to do that. Uh, I met regularly with several of those pastors, one-on-one, -on -one, trying to coach them to try to help their churches understand the value of small groups. And for the most part, for the last 1,700 years, uh, this has been the dynamic of church. A strong emphasis on one wing to the exclusion of the other. So uh, there's a parable that I think helps illustrate this, and it's this. God created a church, and it was like a bird with two wings. One wing was for the large group celebration and the other wing was for the small group community. Using both wings, the church was able to fly and to soar gracefully all over the earth, fulfilling the purpose of its creator. One day, the jealous, wicked serpent, who had no wings, challenged the church to fly with only one wing, its large group wing. The serpent cheered when the church lifted off the ground with only one wing. It was a clumsy effort and didn't go that high, but it, but it did get a little bit off the ground. And the serpent convinced the church that with practice, it could learn to fly with this, just this one wing. Deceived from that day, the two-winged church began to see itself as only having one wing. 
The small group wing became weaker and weaker from lack of exercise until it atrophied into a lifeless and a useless appendage besides the oversized large group wing. The one-winged church that had previously flown so high was now little better than the serpent who had no wings. Over time, the one-winged church became content with its earthbound existence. Over time, it became content with going to church instead of being the church. Over time, the church moved from being a producer to being a consumer. Eventually, the creator reminded the church that the church had two wings, not one. It took a while, but once again, the creator had a church that could fly again in its presence and fulfill its mission. Okay, so it's a parable, but let's talk about these two wings of the church, okay? Two contexts for experiencing God, the large group and the small group, okay? In the large group, we experience God's greatness. We, we, we feel like we're part of something larger than ourselves. We can feel like we're part of a movement. Worship is celebrative. Um, it's a great place for inspirational preaching and teaching. It's not the best place to get to know people, though. Okay? It's not the best place to make friends or to share what's really going on in your life, right? Well, our greeters and our ushers and the people in the coffee team, they all try to be friendly and hospitable. You may be going through the worst week of your life and no one even knows, okay? The large group is just not the place to go to go deep relationally with others. Now, in a small group, we experience God's closeness. Worship is more intimate. And yes, we often do worship in small group setting. Okay? It's more intimate. We feel like we're part of a family. Okay? It's the perfect place to share what's going on in our lives, to give prayer, to get prayer, to do Holy Spirit ministry with one another. It's the perfect place to start um, identifying our spiritual gifts, start exercising those spiritual gifts. The beauty of small groups is, is that we can really begin to open up to one another, right? And help one another grow in our walk with Christ. To coin a phrase from a 1980s sitcom, we all need a place where everyone knows our name, right? We need a place where we can experience God's grace, where we're accepted and loved on right where we're at, warts and all. We need people who have our back when things go down in our life, right? We need people who are there. Uh, the Bible tells us to spur us on to love and good deeds. We need people who will, the Bible says, speak the truth in love to one another so that we can grow and become more like Jesus. Now, in small groups, uh, we don't just get together for fellowship and community, although those are important. We don't want to just do a Bible study so we can learn more. We want to take that Bible, God's Word, okay, and we want to hold it up to our lives, like each week. Hold it up to our lives and ask ourselves, okay, how is my life going to change as a result 
of what I just learned. Okay? What is one thing that Holy Spirit is leading me to change this week? One little baby step. And by the way, will you fellow group members ask me next week if I did it? Right? Week after week, week after week, as the Holy Spirit brings revelation, we take little baby steps in actually obeying God's word and not just, you know, learning God's word, we begin to transform. But it has to happen in the context of a community, a community of grace. Small groups and spiritual growth in general are not just about information, it is about transformation. A person can hear sermons and they can do Bible studies their whole life. Okay, I've met people like this. You can spend your whole life learning stuff, but until you begin applying those teachings to your life, change will never happen. A couple scriptures. Colossians 1.28 says, We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. And then Proverbs 27.17, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. So we need both large groups and we need small groups. One author said, We need both rows and we need circles. And I think that's true. A mentor of mine told me that uh, as a church gets larger, it must get smaller. And what he meant is that small groups become more and more important. Okay? These are the people who are usually the first ones to show up on the scene when you end up in the hospital. These are the people who, when you get out of the hospital, are usually the ones feeding you. So when my wife Jackie was pregnant with our son Aiden uh, back in 2003, our small group each week like, was laying hands on her and praying for our unborn child every week leading up to his delivery. And when we came out of the hospital, it was our small group who was feeding us for like two weeks afterwards. So I literally attribute... Um, many of the blessings I've seen in Aiden's life to the faithful prayers of those people who are praying for our unborn child. Right? Prayer makes a difference. When my uh, pastoral internship was coming to a close, it was 2005, and uh, we discovered in our small group um, that everyone in the group was literally praying for the same thing, a new job. So by the end of the study we were doing, um, God answered each of our prayers and literally like, I think it was at least 12 of us, maybe there are more, but all of us by the end of that study had new jobs. Uh, It was one of the most amazing things I'd seen in my life. So I want to talk to those of you um, who have stepped up to lead a small group or a class this fall. Um, When I first started out as a pastor over small groups, I had about six classes um, that I required new leaders to take before they could lead a small group. That was a total of about 40 hours of training. 
rookie mistake, but it's what I did. Uh, but when I couldn't keep up, like when I couldn't train small group leaders fast enough to keep up with the growth of the church, um, I sort of went back to the drawing board and I came up with a different approach. Um, it's modeled more on the way Jesus trained up his disciples. Okay? When in doubt, look at how Jesus did things, right? Um, so Jesus invited these guys to follow him. He gave them some instruction, hung out with them, right? And then he sent them out, right, in pairs. So like I said earlier, they got some things right, other things um, they didn't. They came back with questions. But basically, it was a little initial training, and then it was essentially on-the-job training, okay? So those of you who are leading a small group or a class this fall, some of you... You went through my turbo group training this summer. Some of you um, met with me individually. Um, I just want to say, you may feel like you don't know a lot about the Bible. You may feel like you have no leadership ability. You're questioning, like, why did I even say I would do this? And now you're looking at this, your name printed in this grill guide, and you're like, ah, you know, that kind of thing. Um, God has a history of using reluctant leaders who feel like they don't have what it takes right? So to be a small group leader, obviously, you don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to have like a whole bunch of biblical training. All I ask is that you are pursuing Jesus and that you are authentic, that you're real, okay? I don't want you to fake it. I don't want you to pretend that you're perfect, okay? Actually, it's when we share our weaknesses that we grow the most, You don't have to be way out in front of people to lead them. You only have to be a step ahead. I mean, sometimes you're literally reading the study guide a week ahead of your group members. Sometimes people will ask you a question that you don't have the answer to. I would much rather you say, I don't know, but I'll find out, than for you to fake and pretend Okay, like you know the answer, all right? When you say, I don't know, but I'll find out, you can send me an email and I'll, and I'll help you find that answer, all right? The more you do this, the more you will learn and the more you will grow, okay? It is absolutely true that the leader grows the most. If you want to grow, you step up into doing one of these things because you will grow, Plus, I I have lots of training, uh, training videos, small group resources. I've spent a lot of time putting all this together. Uh, It's on my personal website, sodsod.com. Yes, I have one. (laughs) S-O-D-S-O-D, it's my last name, sodsod.com. There is an 80-plus page manual on there I put together called the Life Church Small Group Leader Resource Manual. That'd be a good starting point. Okay, I want to I show you guys a graphic. I, I thought they put it up there earlier, but I want to put it back up. Yeah, there you go. Um, sometimes we tend to think of leadership like the picture on the left. Now keep that picture up for a little bit. The leader is the expert who has all the answers, Okay. He or she is the initiator of everything, the center of all activity, the source of all the answers. 
So after leading small groups, helping people identify their gifts, I mean, years doing this, encouraging them, helping them step out of their comfort zone, helping them discover their calling in ministry, working to equip them for their, that calling, I tend to lead like the picture on the right. I do it on a small scale when I lead small groups, and I do it on a large scale when I'm, when I'm leading the church. Okay? Whenever I lead a small group, I have to be very intentional about leading like that picture on the right. It would be very easy for me to fall into the trap of being the group's answer man, right? Or the one who has to be at the center of everything that we do. In my turbo group training this summer, I told those leaders, when you hear about people in your small group getting together without you, that's a win. It was like, what? When the people in your group are beginning to build connection with one another, okay, and you are not the initiator of that, that's a win. Okay, it's the same dynamic in your group discussions. Okay? Sometimes uh, the group will be discussing something and then they'll, they'll ask me what I think. Okay? In an attempt to help them learn to rely on each other and to rely on themselves, I've often answered I don't know. And it is hilarious to see their faces in that moment. It's like, um, you're a pastor. Aren't you supposed to know this? Didn't you go to school for this? Aren't you paid to know this? Right? Um, that's the pastor as a professional, like as a paid professional mindset. The one-winged church mindset. Okay? Not the pastor as the equipper of the saints mindset. So sometimes I do know, just confession, sometimes I do know and I'm playing dumb, but sometimes I really don't know. Okay? Early on in my ministry, I really didn't know the answer to a lot of these questions. And I never pretended that I did. Okay? I would just say, I don't know, but I'll find out. And that's how you learn. And that's how you grow. And that is the authentic leadership culture we want to build here at Life Church. It is moving from a leader dependent, leader centric, I am the paid professional model to all of us actually being the church. Okay? Like the Bible goes, talks all about this. Okay? It's these one another's. I'm going to just rifle right through them, they'll show up on the screen is where we love one another. Are they coming up? There they are. Where we love one another, where we're devoted to one another, we honor one another above ourselves. We live in harmony with one another. We accept one another. We instruct one another. We greet one another. We serve one another in love. We're patient, bearing with one another in love. We're kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. We're speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. If you break out in a psalm, hymn, or spiritual song to me, I'll say, go for it. Right? We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. We encourage one another daily. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. We don't slander one another. We confess our sins to one another and pray for each other. We offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. We clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And we have fellowship with one another. Okay? When we have leadership that is not insecure, 
and can recognize and empower and equip people who may be better than themselves at certain things, then it will absolutely transform life church. So I'm going to put that picture back up again. Um, Yeah, there you go. So the key is that at all levels of leadership, whether you lead a small group, uh, whether you lead in the nursery, or you're a greeter, or whether you're an elder, or you're a pastor, that all of us would lead with humility, where we don't need to be the center of attention, where the buck doesn't need to always stop with us, where we're not building dependency on us and our leadership, but instead we're constantly trying to recognize and empower and equip people to fulfill their God-given potential in the kingdom of God, right? Like when we're all doing that, it's beautiful, absolutely. Okay, so let me talk about some nuts and bolts here. Uh, This fall, we're launching a number of new groups and classes. The idea is to launch a rhythm of trimesters here at Life Church, uh, where each spring, summer, and fall, uh, we'll be offering a lineup of small groups, common interest groups, and classes that people can sign up for. So here's a graphic of what that looks like throughout the year. It looks kind of, it's kind of small, but you can sort of see it there. The idea is that you could sign up for, say, a seven-week group this fall. Okay? So let's say there's 12 of you in this group. At the end of the semester, the leader decides to do another study in the spring. And let's say nine of the 12 of you decide to continue with that group. And three of you decide to go try another group. Or maybe one of you decides um, to go, like, lead your own group in the spring. So when you have groups running according to this rhythm of the trimesters, it makes it possible for people to leave a group without it being awkward uh, and new people to come in without feeling like a fifth wheel because everybody already all knows each other, right? Also, maybe there's a leader who can only lead a group in the fall, but they can't lead one in the spring, or maybe there's a leader that can only lead a group during the summers, that kind of thing. It gives us that kind of flexibility. It makes all that possible. Sometimes people ask me about the gaps in between the semesters, like they're used to meeting every week, and they can't imagine not meeting. Um, First, I would say this, I would say there's value in not meeting and taking a break. And I'll use an example. What student, any of you students here, wants to go to school year-round? Okay? Like, this makes it painfully obvious right away, right? So if I said to your kids and teenagers, um, we're doing away with with, uh, Christmas break, um, no more spring break, no more summers off, how do you think they would respond to that? Like, literally, there'd be a riot, right? I started out uh, in college as a double major in um, music performance and music education, and we were studying the differences between educational systems, and I remember uh, one of the things we were looking at was education in Japan, where they would go to school year-round, and like, it was like everybody in the class was like, that is crazy, you know? (laughs) But literally, 
That's, we, we look forward to having those gaps, those mar- that margin, that space, those breaks. We live in a predominantly marginless society, right? And I think most of you would agree that we need to work hard to maintain margin in our lives, like the space around the things that we put in our schedule. So there are other advantages to having a trimester system. It makes it easier for a new person to engage in community. When you have new groups starting three times a year, right? New groups with new people. They're not always walking in and feeling like uh, these people have been together a long time, right? And no matter how welcoming they make you feel, you feel like a fifth wheel, right? Because they have shared history. They have inside jokes. Um, they've been together, if they've been together a long time, it's really, really hard for a new person to fit in. So the semesters help, helps with that. It also makes it easier to get men into small groups and get men leading small groups, okay? In a lot of churches, the unspoken expectation is that you will be in a group or you will be leading a group until either A, you're dead, or B, Jesus comes back, right? That's just the assumption, right? And so no wonder men are like, I got better things to do. I'm going to go play golf or I'm going to go fishing or something, right? So now we're saying just try a group for a semester or just try leading a group for a semester, like anywhere from, you know, four to 12 weeks, depending on whatever study you pick, right? The idea of a short, it's a short-term commitment. Try it before you buy it, right? It appeals to most men. I know, I am one. Uh, I have seen more, many more men willing to say yes to this um, than in the previous model. And then they, you know, they get, they get hooked on it and they end up loving it, loving their men's group and they can't imagine doing life without it. Okay, so that's the trimester system, kind of the nuts and bolts of this. I also want to clarify something else that has caused a little bit of confusion as I've talked with a few people. Um, We're working simultaneously to have um, lots of small groups for people to get into, and we're building this thing called a discipleship track, okay? Uh, That discipleship track will eventually include a life church 101, 201, 301, and a series of core discipleship classes like baptism, if you haven't been baptized, we want you to take the class and get baptized. Um, Alpha, Oaks of Righteousness, which will be like an inner healing kind of class. A financial class, like how to read the Bible, how to pray, and all these kinds of things that are like things that believers should be learning and doing, that kind of thing. Um, This fall, you know, it'll take some time to launch this whole thing. But this fall, we're launching Life Church 101, And then Todd Broyles is leading a personal finance class. I think that's important. That's like a core thing, like helping us manage our our finances God's way, right? Um, And I'm taking a team of of people who've indicated an interest in helping start and lead an inner healing ministry um, through that this fall um, so they can experience it themselves And then next spring, we'll do leader training, and the hope is to launch that for the whole church next fall, fall 2022. And so the question that has come up 
uh, is, are you expecting me to do all of these things? <laughs> and the answer is no. <laughs> no. So some churches take a programmatic approach to discipleship. Okay? They offer classes for everything that they want you to learn. Other churches do it through small groups, meaning uh, the expectation is everybody's going to be in a small group, and then all discipleship is done within the context of those small groups. Okay? I've found it helpful over the years to take a hybrid approach. Uh, for me, it's a, it's a both-and approach. Um, I'm not big on... Um, high control, like I'm telling you what to do kind of thing. Um, I'm up for providing a structure that serves, not a structure that is, not, that is a master, okay? I've learned over the years, like if you tell people where to go, they'll tell you where you can go, <laughs> okay? Seriously, right? Nobody's like telling you what you have to do. Like I just wanna provide a clear framework so that you look at that and you go, hmm, there's my first step, okay? Hmm, that's the next thing I want to do, okay? Um, all right, so take a look at this, this picture. It'll pop up there. Yeah, so that's the same kind of, that's the year from January to, to December with the spring semester, summer semester, and fall semester. So you may be in a small group for a couple semesters, and then you take a semester off from your group, and then you decide to take a class. Then you go back to your small group, and with the help of your fellow small group members, you start implementing what you learned in the class. Or maybe your whole small group decides they all want to go through one of these classes together. And so in a given semester, they don't, like that's their meeting. They don't have their own meeting. They go to this class together. So it might be... You know, Life Church 201, it might be Alpha, it might be the inner healing thing, it might be the finance thing. Um, when a small group goes through inner healing together like that, um, I'm telling you that can be a, like a turbo boost for your small group. I mean, imagine a whole small group going through inner healing at the same time. Imagine how that just... You know, the quality of that small group experience just goes up through the roof. I mean, it's, it can become absolutely transformative. So I don't want you to feel like you have to, like, take everything all at once. Um, maybe this fall you sign up for a small group. Maybe you sign up for the 101 class. I mean, literally, one of the 101 class is three hours long. It's either done on a Saturday or it's done over two weeknights, like either two Tuesdays or two Thursdays. Okay. So another big picture dynamic I want, you, I want you to be aware of is this. Um, you remember me talking about the angle scale a few weeks ago, um, sort of like a number line. They'll put it up on the screen there. A number line going from uh, negative 10 to positive 10 uh, describes a person's receptivity to the gospel, their conversion, and their subsequent growth in Christ, right? So in terms of small groups and discipleship, classes, the idea is to provide a place where no matter where you are on this scale, um, there's a place where you can enter into community and take a baby step towards either faith in Christ or growing in Christ. 
Now we're just starting out. It'll take some time to get this all going. Uh, you can see up there on the right, um, pastoral training. Sometimes I think five, ten years out, we'll get there, right? I mean, just look at Caleb today. We were talking, like, God is putting it on the hearts of people to spend the rest of their life on the kingdom of God, right? Um, I've been in ministry 18 years now. Over those 18 years, um, I have helped raise up six pastors from within the church. Like literally started with a conversation with someone who was beginning to talk about a pastoral call on their life. And I just keep, keep basically just keep giving them a little bit more, a little bit more, lots of coaching, lots of encouragement. And we just keep going, we keep going. And until either A, they cry uncle, and they're like, stop, I've had enough. Or B, they're on staff somewhere. <laughs> right? I just love seeing people grow and learn and discover what it is God created them to do and do that in the kingdom. And it, for me, it's not a hierarchy, right? I, as your senior pastor, am no more important than the person changing your child's diaper or the person who's taking out the trash in the bathroom. All of these things are equally important in the kingdom and they should be important in the local church, okay? That, none of that matters. What matters is, are you discovering and walking out the calling that God has put on your life? Whatever that is. I don't care if it's in this church or if it's out there or if it's in Asia. Like every one of us, God has, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, God has put some kind of calling and some kind of gifting on your life. And we want to help you discover that and walk that out. So um, we got 101 this fall. We're launching 201 next spring. 201 will be six sessions long. And two of the things that we're going to do in there is a spiritual growth assessment. We want to help you take that. And then a shape assessment. So... Uh, a shape, it's an acronym, stands for spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, and experience. And then when you come out of 201, you're going to sit down one-on-one -on -one with a pastor for about an hour. Maybe it'll go a little longer. You'll share a little bit of your journey. And the idea is for them to help you take your next steps. Okay. This is all based on the assumption of what I just said, that if you've been called by faith into the family of believers, then God is calling you to some kind of role in the kingdom of God. Okay. We want to help you figure out what that is. All right, so again, two ways it, to sign up for a small group. Small groups are absolutely critical part of this, like Growth happens in the context of community. It doesn't happen just learning stuff. We have to be there and be the church to one another, doing life together, okay? All those one another's 
that I went through. Okay, two ways to sign up for a small group. Fill out the back of your group guide, tear that off, drop it in the basket when you go out in the gathering space there on the table, or you can go to our website, lifeonline.church. It's right there on the front. Um, You can sign up today. If you have any questions, um, I will, when I'm done here, um, I'm gonna go back there by the table and I'll be hanging out. Um, I wanna help you you have any questions about like what group to sign up for and that kind of thing. All right. All right, let's pray. Lord, I just, I just pray every person here would connect into a group where they're building new friendships, where they feel free to be their authentic selves, where they're supported and cared for, where they're growing spiritually. Pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill these gatherings with your transforming presence. That you would guide the conversations and the prayers. And Jesus, you would be the leader of every group at Life Church. May you be glorified and lifted up wherever we gather. We pray in Jesus' name.